0: You're listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month, where you'll get discounts on our upcoming events, as well as our merchandise, and you even get some free giveaways every three months. Romans 8, verses 18 through 25 in the New American Standard Bible reads, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Here, St. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he is explaining the consequences of salvation. He's like, because we're saved, this is what's happening. This is like the process of salvation causes these things. Um, I like to use the word process. Uh, After discussing the struggle between the flesh, the spirit, all this kind of stuff, he gets to this and he makes this comparison of the future glory awaiting us. And he makes past statements of like birthing pains for creation. And then he makes kind of a reference to us doing similar groans, but then calls us sons and daughters. And it's kind of like, hmm, that's a little awkward. <laughs> um, Jennifer, what do you believe this analogy of birthing pains can reveal to us about our own nature and our relationship to one another, creation, God, all of it?
1: Yeah, so this image is uh, so rich uh, and so multi layered. First of all, when you think about it, this personification of all creation as a woman in labor Uh gives honor and importance to the childbearing work of women, right? That's sort of like in in the background there. um, Paul is, you know, recognizing the suffering that women go through in childbirth. You know, and Paul uses a lot of feminine images actually in his writings, and we tend to not focus on them (laughs) um, as much but here you know he's focusing in on the the vital work that women do as mothers but there's a lot more going on in the imagery right um when you think about mothers do going through the work of labor uh this is true but then in the ancient mediterranean world they would not have been alone in their labor Like a community of women, women gather around a birthing mom. Uh, There would be midwives and like other people Mm. who are helping. You know, we have this very individualistic idea of how. Um, birth takes place because we go to a hospital and it's usually just a doctor or a nurse and a yeah. spouse, <laughs> right? But that's not how it was in the ancient world. So when you think about this communal image, Paul, I think, is probably drawing on that part, that circumstance of communal support in the midst of suffering, when yeah. he is talking about creation, like all of it suffering together. Um, and I think we miss that sometimes. Um, But here we are suffering together and also we are suffering with Christ because the verse like right before this passage talks about that, that we also suffer with Christ. Um, But I think the most surprising part about this childbirth metaphor, um, at least surprising for contemporary American Christians, um, is that like you said, he's talking about a process of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. Not a moment. He's talking about the redemption of all creation. So like labor, which is a long process, so is this renewal of Earth and of humanity. Um, We like to make salvation this individual endeavor, right? Um, Yeah. The the praying of the prayer and accepting Jesus and I get to go to heaven and all of that. But that's just not the biblical picture of salvation, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I find it really telling every time it talks about salvation. It's almost always communal, it seems like. I, I don't want to say for sure, because I'm not that much of a Bible expert that I could say that. But I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, all of the times, even the times like when people put out, like, work out your own salvation. He's talking to a group of people when he says that, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's fascinating. I um, this The one downside to podcasts is I can't highlight. Because all of the things you just said, I'm like, I just want to go over that with a highlighter. I'm like, I could sit in that... That historical part that you added of, like, the communal, I yeah. I never knew that. And now I need to find a commentary that says that so that I can highlight. It.
1: Yeah, you can also <laughs> um, look at it in paintings. So if you're in a more collectivist society, not individualist society, they'll, they'll paint um, the nativity scene, and there will be a lot of people there. <laughs> you know? It's not just Mary, Joseph, and Jesus.
0: Man, yeah, right. that's wild. Yeah. I'm. This is probably the longest prelude we've ever had, but I'm just so fascinated by your answer. You also mentioned other imagery that Paul uses about um, the church and women and how we don't typically focus on the feminine ones. Could you give a couple examples real quick?
1: Right. Well, no. So he talks about sometimes he talks about himself, actually, and his um, missionary uh, people as as like sort of midwives, as mothers, as you know, he uses that imagery to talk about himself not just yeah. talk about god right so yeah um, he does that quite a bit there's a great book and i want to say like maybe beverly Goventa, she's a real, well, new testament scholar she wrote it and she talks about sort of all the maternal images in paul so that would Man. be something worth i'm gonna find it's that pretty, it's yeah. pretty fun yeah but my, i think when it comes to the salvation idea um that he's getting at like the main idea is that it is it is communal we are all working towards the salvation of of creation you know and it's not just us so um yeah it's it's a beautiful image oh yeah
0: and it's not prosperity gospel; it's <laughs> suffering together so
1: <laughs> that, there we yeah, go that's, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what. we're in this together <laughs> yes yeah
0: Hey everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, possibly your favorite Church Unity Podcast. You're probably already tired of hearing my voice because it was a long verse. I usually make TJ do those because I'm so bad at reading, and he was late. So without further ado, um, the the one, I don't know if you guys know this, but adjectives exist, even bad ones, unfortunately, as a response to people not having a way to properly articulate the wonder that is the one, the only, the greatest co-host of all time. Tiberius one, Blackwell. TJ, how's it going?
2: Uh, It's it's going great, thanks.
0: Yeah. Did you know that you were the cause of all adjectives?
2: Uh, I had a feeling.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, We are also brought by everyone's favorite appetizer, uh, David Pizza Roll. Welcome back. He's going to be a guest host with us today. And we are interviewing the one and only, um, I think... I think one of my favorite people I've ever heard do a live panel ever, actually. Might just hands down be my favorite. The Reverend Doctor, Jennifer Bashaw, or just Jennifer. How's it going?
1: Pretty good.
0: Awesome, awesome. I am so excited. These are like four awesome, or three awesome people, and I get to be here to talk to you guys. And we're going to be talking a lot about Jennifer's background as well as gender and God and what does all of this mean, how can we have feminism and Christianity we got some deep stuff we're going to get into, so I'm going to try not to go on any further.
2: All right. Uh, Make sure you check out our convention website in the description below. Use the code W-H-O-L-E, for 40% off at checkout. If you join the Patreon, it'll be 60% off. Just a little tip. Get your ticket. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have food trucks and all kinds of awesome activities to do. Uh, If you join our Patreon, you can also get access to our Q&A Discord channel. One of the bonus segments we do. 10% off merch. There's a lot of stuff there. Go check it out. Yeah. Just to be honest,
0: if you ask us questions, it's probably just going to lead to us asking other people those questions. Yeah. But that's fine. (laughs) Well, guys, you know I have a favorite form of unity. I I don't know if Jennifer is aware of this, but um, it's actually impossible to be in division when you are being as goofy as I am about to be in my favorite our silly question segment Uh, we just ask a silly question we'll all answer it first let you have as much time to think about it as possible Um, I don't remember what today's is so I'm excited to figure out with you all if you could throw a party with any one kind of sea creature wow which sea creature would you choose Uh, TJ this is so up your alley you have to answer first it's Mm a necessity killer whales (laughs) why
2: you have any idea how smart killer whales are
0: yeah they're terrifying
2: they I know mean, how to party. Yeah, they're also terrifying. Yeah, I'm not even going to have to plan anything. I'm just going to show up, and
0: we're going to have a good time. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. much of me just wants to say sea turtles because they're my favorite, but I don't imagine them having a great party, honestly. I'm what's funny is i remember if i when i wrote this i had to have had a better answer than this but my answer is going to be i'm pulling full spongebob bumping up the music in a pineapple under the sea with some jellyfish
3: yeah yeah You think all right uh, yeah it's I'd gonna probably, work exactly the same <laughs> uh i'd probably go with seahorses mm-hmm. uh because if the party is underwater I'd imagine they know how to throw down and if not i mean it end up being like some therapy session uh, for a bunch of pregnant dudes and if sure and if it's like on dry land if the party's on dry land then i mean seahorses are tiny and it'd be easy to clean up all their little dead seahorse bodies sadly
0: that's depressing but yeah (laughs) i i think your therapy session might also be able to get some more about the pains of childbirth and creation and salvation in there
1: (laughs) <laughs> Add to our
0: conversation. <laughs> uh, Jennifer.
1: Okay, so which, it, can sea, they be f- yeah. fictional sea creatures? Is that okay?
0: DJ? Sure. Yes. I'm okay. <laughs> the good.
1: Then mer people, for sure. Ooh. Like, yeah. I was a huge Little Mermaid fan when I came out. I must have been in middle school or something, and I memorized, like, the whole thing, and the whole singing, the girl, the sisters, we are the daughters of Triton, and all of that. Okay, yeah.
0: Yeah. Good times. Yeah. It's a good movie. <laughs> are, are you excited for the for the remake coming up?
1: I am. No, absolutely. Very uh, excited. Yeah, am. Yeah.
0: Man, I, I'm so torn just because of other Disney live actions, where I'm like, hmm, I didn't love the remake of Li- Lion King. But I also, I do love these things staying relevant, so... Right. I'll take what I can get, I guess.
1: Aladdin was pretty good, I think.
0: That's true. I loved... I loved other than there's like one scene that I was like, ah, that's a little weird. But mm-hmm. I did love Aladdin and the Beauty and the Beast remix. Mm-hmm. They did great.
2: great. Yeah. Yeah. True. Beauty and the Beast is good. So, one thing we found that really helps with Christian unity is to hear one another's story. Now, would you mind sharing your story of how you came to the faith with us?
1: Yes. Um, so, I grew up... Uh, in the church, in the Southern Baptist Church, actually. Um, so I remember very clearly when I had sort of a, a, an initial encounter with Jesus, if you want to call it that. Um, it was when I was in kindergarten and my Sunday school teacher had like talked about Jesus. And that night, I just felt this conviction that comes often from sort of a more evangelical way of, of presenting the gospel, right? And I was crying. <laughs> And I just, I kind of count that as like the the initial encounter I had um, with God. And then after that, like God became very important in my life as a, you know, sense of um, of nurturing and comfort. You know, I loved going to church and I loved reading the Bible and all that. So um, I lived with that growing up. But the problem came when I got older and got a sort of felt a call to ministry, And I was probably in high school by then and I was in the Southern Baptist church. So they did not support women in, in all aspects of ministry, right. Only in particular ones. Um, and so that was really, that was really difficult trying to figure out my call in a place where they, Mm -hmm. um, they limited it to children's working with children or being a missionary. Right. And so I, um, I ended up going to Baylor and like did all sorts of things, leading Bible studies and things like that. But I still, um, you know, f- was in that environment where it was like, well, you can't really be a pastor. Um, mm-hmm. I did end up going to seminary because I, I still wanted to follow that calling in some way. Um, and then I worked in churches and things like that. But um, because the reality of Southern Baptist life in Texas, where mm-hmm. I grew up, was that I wasn't probably going to be a pastor of a church. I ended up Uh, Taking a more academic route. Uh, But that actually helped me um, in my calling and fulfilling a calling. So now I kind of feel like I have a pastoral and a teaching calling. So now I teach um, the Bible, which which I love to do. And Uh I I love to do things with the church as well.
0: So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, what's what's weird is the three of us probably have a really strange perspective. We well, actually, I don't know if David grew up in this church, but all of us were part of a, um, a Pentecostal denomination at one point that was extremely conservative. It was a holiness Pentecostal. TJ's still a part of it. David's like half part of it. I'm just like Lutheran hybrid now. But <laughs> they, are, even though they're extremely conservative, still have women pastors which is always really weird to me when like now that i've seen more of like broader theology out in the world i'm like that's like a mark of like liberal theology and it's just really weird that that's just a part of this denomination i mean cool but weird yeah,
1: yeah it's a it's a holy spirit thing i mean the denominations that tend to emphasize the holy spirit are are more open to the spirit speaking through anybody yeah. all different kinds of people and so i think from <laughs> the beginning women had um a bigger part you know, in Pentecostal movements because of the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. So it's good. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure.
3: So you've already touched on a lot of this, uh, but what are some more details that you can share about your story and going from like a conservative Baptist background to where you are in your faith now? And you've touched on some of the, uh, the restrictiveness of being in a Southern Baptist convention, but uh, where are you now? And what are some details about how you got there?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think this is a good question for this time um, that we find ourselves in. Like so many people are, if you want to call it deconstructing or trying to like look at their faith tradition and figure out um, how do we move forward with it. But what's interesting, I think about me, is that my deconstruction, if you want to call it that, Um, Was a really long journey, um, so much so that it didn't, it wasn't traumatic. It wasn't like one big thing happened necessarily. Um, And, you know, I questioned everything. No, because I started reading scripture really early and I'm a person who um, likes literature, you know, I've always read scripture as literature. And so it helped me, um, you know, as I started coming up against things in the world that didn't seem to match with the Bible. I'm like, well, maybe there's some, um, literary stuff going on here. And so it was a, it was a slow, long, slow process. Um, and I would say there are a lot of people that have negative ideas about deconstruction, but I would say (laughs) like my deconstruction was actually prompted by scripture, like by Mm -hmm. my own reading of scripture. It wasn't that I was rebelling against it somehow. Um, I just was focusing on the Jesus story, a lot and that helped me you know look at scripture in a different way but it also felt very spirit led it felt very love focused it wasn't me you know being angry about anything it was something that i did as i grew closer to god and understanding the character of god um i started deconstructing or if you <laughs> want to call it some people are going to call it like became more progressive <laughs> or whatever. um but yeah. it was, yeah, it wasn't like <laughs> rebellion or anything like that, which I think some people look at it that way. Um, it was a very um slow but sort of um helpful constructive process, you no know? yeah. not not necessarily deconstructive, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, some people might today would have called what Martin Luther did deconstruction. But oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. the the next Protestant Reformation will just be called the Great Deconstruction. We'll see. <laughs>
1: right. And his was, you know, um, motivated by scripture, too, his reading of scripture. So, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, they probably thought he got a lot more liberal.
1: They probably <laughs> I mean, <did. laughs>
0: from that, from their perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah, they probably did. <laughs> yeah. <do> <laughs> Man.
0: So speaking of a little bit more progressive theology, we've actually met at Trip Fuller's uh, Theology Beer Camp. He's been on the show just a couple of weeks ago awesome guy love him yeah. love everyone i met there it's a great group of people um you made a suggestion during one of the panels i mentioned earlier my favorite panel ever probably <laughs> that you you said maybe we should practice using more feminine pronouns for god in our prayers you could you unpack that a little bit like what were you talking about why do you think that's an important practice and um how do you think it could be
1: useful Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background, um, or I guess your listeners, because they weren't at the talk. But in (laughs) my talk, I expressed how I have uh, experienced God as a feminine presence in my life, throughout my whole life. So the people who showed Jesus' love to me in the church um, and in the world were mostly women. Uh, And I've also experienced the Holy Spirit in ways that would be maybe associated with the more typically feminine characteristics like nurturing, um, empowering, like I guess would be nurturing like a mother, empowering like a sister, comforting like an affectionate friend, right? But the fact is we do not encourage that kind of language for God in the church, probably because our history has been dominated by masculine and only masculine language for God. Um, And so I was talking about how if we actually begin to to use more inclusive language for God, Mm-hmm. um then at, it expands our understanding of god uh it deepens our experience of god right it can draw us into um a better relationship with the divine because we're getting a bigger a bigger picture of of who god is so yeah that's the reason why i think it's good <laughs> to use feminine <laughs> pronouns and feminine language for god
3: yeah so follow up question i'm going a little bit off script i'm uh, i'm genuinely curious <laughs> yeah. uh do you think that a lot of that is Historically, uh, because of the gender roles that we assign to some of these qualities where like, I mean, growing up in my household, my mom was generally the breadwinner and uh, my dad was in charge of raising us. And so a lot of these qualities where it would be considered where these would be considered like feminine qualities. I actually got from my dad he was yeah. very nurturing he was very kind and uh very uh affectionate towards mm-hmm. my brothers and i and we're in an all-boy household i don't have any sisters but i have four brothers
1: wow
3: you know and so <laughs> uh so my question is are are those feminine attributes or are they just uh healthy attributes that historically mm-hmm. because we've assigned them two females Mm -hmm. historically uh (laughs) people have seen them as less important because of the way that you know history has been written or played out
1: yeah i think the second is true i think that we have assigned them to be more feminine or female characteristics right but they are just like you said, good, healthy characteristics. Um, but because we have such a long history of doing that, right? We have um, stopped referring to God and sometimes Jesus too um, with those very healthy, important characteristics. And it has to do with the fact that we that that we mm. shy away from the more feminine images because of the way society treats mm. women and in the church too, right? So mm. yeah, no, I think I think you're right. It's I wish we didn't have to say that these were feminine characteristics, but they have been assigned
0: yeah. that way right yeah yeah so. uh much less serious question uh so with your southern baptist uh convention background uh do you think they'd be more mad at the suggestion to refer to god with uh, she her pronouns or they them since you know the bible says we i mean
1: <laughs> that is so interesting. <laughs> yeah because right now like who like this so the Baptist convention. Who do they hate more women <laughs> who are trying to be leaders or the LGBT community? Like, I don't know. I feel like a toss I feel up. like it's awesome. Like they would be angry no matter what. Flip a coin. We'll see. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
3: <laughs> so what stories or passages in the Bible do you feel most uplift these feminine, uh, qualities or attributes, either yeah, in God's so there, attributes or otherwise?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, so there are two ways to look at this. Um, Um, one would be uh, ways that God is portrayed. So this is something that people don't talk about in church that much. Um, But there is a character uh, in the Old Testament, and then some other Second Temple literature uh, called Lady Wisdom. Uh, Some people call her Woman Wisdom, right? And so that is actually the personification of God's teaching and of God's Character in God's wisdom, right? Um, so, Lady Wisdom comes up in Proverbs and other places. Um, so, that's one way. There's a that's very feminine image um, for God. And then you, oh gosh, you hear, you see God described as a mother hen, as a mama bear, as a birthing mother, as a nursing mother. There's like so many different images. Um, a lot of them are in prophetic literature, actually, um, where you see all of these images. Um, so, I think that's there. But I think we also need to talk about how. God's presence is mediated through women um, in the Gospels so this is this is not necessarily like using um, traits or characteristics or whatever feminine characteristics to describe God but this is actually asking the question where does God show up in Jesus's story um, and so when you read through the Gospels you see that women are very much the presence of God for Jesus in his key moments um, we don't like to think about Jesus G- like we don't like to think about the human Jesus needing sort of someone else to me to get God to him. But you know, if he was truly human, then he also needed to feel the supporting presence of God through the people that are around him. Right. So when you Mm -hmm. think about it, you have Mary, his mother was, um, was the presence of God to him when she births him and feeds him and nurtures him. Right. And then when you get to Luke, there's, um, these women who support Jesus's ministry financially, right? And probably other ways too. And so you kind of see God um, providing for Jesus through these women, right? And then when you get to the cross, women are the only people who are there at the cross um, of his disciples. And so you imagine that, that um, they became the presence of God for Jesus in his hour of need right there. Mm-hmm. So like, really, there's so much scripture that shows us um What we might call the divine feminine, but but we haven't been trained to look at it in that way. Whether mm-hmm. it's descriptions or whether it's stories and the way women show up in stories, like we just don't, we overlook it really easily because of the way you know we're taught to read scripture. I guess.
0: Yeah, I um think Dave and I are about to get on TJ's nerves. We both have uh, follow up questions, but <laughs> I um I'm, I'm going to ask something that's borderline heretical, really quickly. Okay. <laughs> Shocking. So yeah, yeah, right. Um. I heard on a recent podcast when we're talking about things in the Bible that uplift the feminine. One one woman I heard, I wish I could remember who it was. Um, it was one of the interviews the Holy Post did, but she brought up the the fact that God is referred to as Father even uplifts the feminine because it implies mother. The heretical part of that question is who is the mother, right? I, I know that um, some whenever the Jewish people had more of a you know whatever thing they they would refer to Ashira as. God's wife, which right. obviously we don't believe that's kind of, you know, not the Bible. You mentioned wisdom. Um, yeah. people talk about mother earth is, is there a mother if the God is the father?
1: <laughs> right? No, no. I think you're onto something there. Um, because God enc- encapsulates all of that. When, when you're talking about a monotheistic religion, like, yeah. like Judaism, like God, uh, encompasses all of those characteristics. So, yeah. So when, if Jesus is saying, you know, our father who art in heaven, right? There may be a, a sort of bigger sense of parent, right? Even though the word parent yeah. isn't used, probably not common for them to use the word parent in um, any of those ancient languages, Hebrew or Greek. But, um, but yeah, I, know I like that idea that, that, that it's, <laughs> it's a more encompassing term, right? Some people might even say Jesus calls God father because he already has a mother, on earth but probably joseph is has died early so he doesn't have a father and so that's the way he relates to god i don't know we don't we oh, don't know exactly. Interesting. yeah Yeah. we don't know exactly right, okay
0: yeah. yeah i just wanted to get us all in trouble with that question real quick yeah no that's
1: good
0: <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> so i'm really glad you brought up lady wisdom uh when i first got saved when i was 14 i read the book of uh proverbs over yeah. and over because it was just the only book that didn't bore me when i first got saved <laughs> and uh but Man, uh, I wrestled with that for a long time because I was like, okay, hold on. I read in 1 Corinthians that Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God incarnate. Uh-huh. And so I started thinking like, okay, so, but Jesus is a man, but it's referred to the wisdom of God earlier than that as a female, right? And uh-huh. hold on, let me think of how to ask this follow-up question. Um <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Okay. Yeah. So going into that first Corinthians thing, uh, this goes back to what we touched on earlier about the, the traditional view of masculine and feminine uh, attributes and qualities. Uh, And it goes in, it touches on how people thought Jesus was going to come. And they thought that he would be a conquering King with riding in on like a stallion with, full armor and having an army behind him. But Jesus showed up with, with, you know, this caring and meek persona that was more attributed to the, to the meek and weak and the, the poor and powerless people. And so when calling Jesus, the wisdom of God incarnate, uh, Paul paints this picture of God using the opposite of what we expected to bring us closer to him or using the foolishness of God to confound the wise. And so I think that, that seeing all these qualities of God as the more feminine qualities, like, like you're talking about is, is so essential to our faith because it's kind of like, okay, well how the heck is God going to conquer the world by being this meek and mild, uh, person, you know, or calling us to turn the other cheek when we're insulted or whatever. Right. So my question to you is, uh, do you think that that there's a reason that in Proverbs, wisdom is referred to as a lady, but then in, New, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as God's wisdom incarnate?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. I think um, though this would have happened, uh, Paul would have been writing before John um, but when John writes the prologue of the gospel of John, um, you, he uses the word, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So that term, the logos has a whole bunch of things wrapped up in it. And one of the mm-hmm. things is lady wisdom, mm-hmm. and that it, wisdom is, is involved there. So yeah, so he uses that terminology to refer to Jesus. And I think that that's putting together the the characteristics of lady wisdom with other characteristics of Jesus. Um, so I think it must've been in the way that they were speaking in the early church. Cause it shows up in, in Paul and it shows up in John as well. Um, so I think, oh. yeah, I think, I think Jesus is, um, the way that they want to portray Jesus is to say, Hey, no, remember when we had this lady wisdom and that was one way that God showed up to us. Okay. So here's Jesus showing up to us. Um, as God as well, and it's gonna enca- encapsulate oh. that Lady Wisdom image as well. So, yeah, oh,
2: fascinating. Yeah, so That's good stuff. Are, are there any passages of scripture you feel like are extremely problematic for a, a feminist affirming mindset?
1: Well, I mean, if if you think about it, really, the whole the whole context that within within which the Bible was written is Sort of problematic <laughs> for feminism, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when, when the whole, all the people who were writing um, the Bible were in a patriarchal society, and they had particular ideas um, about. Mm-hmm men and women and the structure of society and things like that. Um, so that's going to come out in their writing for sure. And if we affirm that scripture is both divine and human, the human part of it's going to come out from that, like their context. So, yeah, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rise up in lots of different places. I mean, the places that people tend to go to to use against women, um, against women in ministry are going to be some of the passages in Paul where he's talking to very specific churches about problems that they're having, um, and he starts talking about what women can and can't do, right? Um, When he does a household codes, which are very much based on the household codes of the Greco-Roman world, which are, of course, very patriarchal, that's going to come out there as well. So there's a lot of problematic passages, but when we read it, um, understanding that context, and we look for the places where um, they're sort of trajectories away from that, away from patriarchy, mm-hmm. patriarchy then I think that's where we, what we need to grab a hold of. Because that shows us sort of like really Jesus' whole life was anti-patriarchal. The way that he treated women, um, sort of brought them into the center of society in his, in his ministry. Um, that is one trajectory, right? The fact that Paul does say that men and women should submit to one another, um, mm-hmm. in Ephesians five, that's the first thing he says, that's, that's a trajectory that takes us away from that heavily patriarchal society. So yeah, there's a lot of problematic passages, but I think if we read it in its context, we'll see that it's pointing beyond that patriarchal society to the future. Like what does new creation look <laughs> like? What does the kingdom look like? Um, equality, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. that's what it looks like. And you know, people don't like the word feminist, but really it's, is about equality, yeah. It's not about exalting women over other people or anything like that. Yeah.
0: One of the, if people want to see this, I, I think one of the best studies to do, if you go through 1st, uh, 2nd Thessalonians and you look at Paul's writings, it very much, if you take yourself away from it, you know, try to be a third party just reading this book, it, it see, really feels like the author is kind of going back and forth between these ideas of yes everyone's equal now but also we still need to have structure and what does this look like and he's wrestling trying to figure it out and it definitely feels like there's a trajectory so if you read those books specifically i think it kind of highlights what she's saying here whether you agree or not i think that's a good place to see it if you want to kind of get a feel for what we're talking about
1: yeah absolutely
3: so even though most preachers would say that god is without gender because god is spirit uh a lot of preachers and speakers will will insist on using father masculine language of scripture to make it and make it a huge deal of Jesus as a male how do you respond to those who treat the gender of god as a first tier issue even though they claim that god doesn't have a gender
1: oh yeah so i think what's happening with people who like obsess about that about the gender of god um is because they really are obsessed with Gender differences in society, like the, many people um, from some more evangelical context, but definitely Southern Baptists, where I come from, um, they are very invested in the idea that there are roles for men and there are roles for women, right? And that's sort of their the the core of what they they adhere to. It, that that's what they want to teach. That's what they how they want the church to to look. And so then I think those people who care very much about that will care very much about talking about the gender of God, right? They will not like the idea of using um, feminine language for God. They they will play up the masculinity of Jesus, however you want to say that, um, because they're actually more concerned with what's happening societally, right? And then they're yeah. trying to project that onto God. And I think that's that's really dangerous, right? Um, to start yeah. with what you want, <laughs> For your church, what you want your church to to act out and believe, and not start with actually Jesus' life, Jesus' mm. life in scripture. Like, that's a problem. right? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Some of those preachers uh, would call that eisegesis if you were doing it with any other topic.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, man. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. It is eisegesis. Yeah. Good call.
2: <laughs> so, you have a book out now called Scapegoats, the Gospel Through the Eyes of Victims. Uh, what can you tell us about the background of this work and what inspired it?
1: Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I did work on a name, a guy named um, Rene Girard the, during my dissertation. So um, I studied him and he's the guy who puts forth the, this idea about a scapegoat theory and Jesus like, a scapegoat. Um, and so, so I had that in the background, but the, the reason that I started writing the book was actually cause I, I was looking around, um, at Christians and of course I teach in a Christian university. So I have a lot of students that come out of Christian backgrounds and I was looking around at that and then about, you know, just social media and other places. And I saw that people were not, people who were claiming to be Christians were not showing up in the world like mm-hmm. Jesus. They didn't look like Jesus. They didn't <laughs> act like Jesus. Yeah. They didn't seem to even know what Jesus taught or what, you know, what his life was about. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, Holly, this is a real problem. <laughs> so what, why, like, why is it that they don't know? And I think that we, um, I wanted to highlight things in, in the gospels, um, that people tend to overlook, right? Yeah. I wanted to write about the gospels. And I thought that using Gerard's Um, theory of the scapegoat would actually help, um, you know, provide this good framework for looking at the way that Mm -hmm. Jesus interacted with people in his society, because he does end up um, interacting most of the time with the victims in his society, um, people who are scapegoats. And I can talk more about Mm -hmm. scapegoats if you want me to.
2: (laughs) I would love that. What is a scapegoat as you understand
1: it? (laughs) Okay. Okay. I realize as I'm going on, I'm like, Oh no, maybe let's talk about what a scapegoat is. Um, So generally speaking, you know, um, scapegoats are people who are who um, society um, puts their their sin or puts blame on them, though they tend to be innocent um, of the sins that they're being accused of. Right. So going way back in history to ancient societies, um, they would literally sacrifice um, a person um, in order to. Um, achieve peace in their in their society so gerard says that um we are mimetic creatures which means we imitate one another and we want what one another has and that causes conflict in society and that conflict sort of grows until it, it becomes so big that there's just violence um between the members of a society and so he looks at different societies um civilizations and sees okay the way yeah. that they deal with this is that they tend to take this violence that's um focused uh, of all against all, I guess, and take it and focus it on one person. And Mm -hmm. when they focus that violence and that blame on one person, then they either exile that person or kill that person, sacrifice that person. And that then um, calms down the violence, um, the conflict in society for a little while. So, of course, um, the... The Israelites had this; they had a literal scapegoat. That's where we get the word from, <laughs> the scapegoat, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and they put the they symbolically um, placed the sins of the community on the scapegoat and then you know sent it out into the wilderness. Um, so they don't actually kill that goat, um, but there are societies, early societies, who c- literally killed people um, for this. Um, and so, so mm-hmm. today we don't tend to sacrifice people, right? Literally, not usually. Um, not usually. <laughs> this mechanism he calls the scapegoat mechanism still operates in our society when, you know, things uh, get kind of tense when there are times mm-hmm. where people are losing um, their position and power. They tend to put blame onto um, other people so that they can keep their position, keep their power, um, keep their peace, really, Um, if you want to look at it that way. But those scapegoats tend to be people who are... um On the margins of society who are outsiders people who um don't have a lot of people standing up for them so that so that that whole putting the blame on them can actually work like no one's going to stand up for them and say no Mm -hmm. they're innocent right so these are the people who tend to be scapegoats and these are the people that jesus um interacted with these are the ones that he um drew sort of into the center of society Uh, he wanted their voices to be heard and and them to um, become important in his ministry. And then of course he ends up being a scapegoat, right? Mm -hmm. He, all of the sort of powers and uh, going on the political powers and the religious powers um, there in Jerusalem sort of focus on Jesus. And then they, they sacrifice him to uh, achieve a peace like a temporary sort of peace. So Gerard Mm -hmm. says that because the gospel writers tell this story about the innocent Jesus, who we scapegoat, who we kill, um, then we should be able to be aware of when we're doing it now. Like he mm-hmm. should be the scapegoat to end all scapegoats. Um, and we Christians should know better. We should stop scapegoating because <laughs> we, we know yeah. the ultimate scapegoat, right? Um, that's not how it ends up working yeah. out in church history. And so that's what I did in my book. like lo- looked at Jesus' interactions with scapegoats, talked about how it is that we, the church, um, missed the point, and we continue mm. to scapegoat people in society today.
0: So the yeah. ultimate scapegoat is not the Democrats.
1: <laughs> no. man, who <laughs> no. knew? No,
0: no. Did you guys?
2: Uh, did you guys see that tweet that said we should pin all the debt in the world on one guy, then kill him?
1: Uh,
0: I that's
2: no. sure did not. What? I'm not saying we should, but that's, <laughs> that's a great yes. example of a scapegoat.
1: It's a great example. Yeah, that's yeah. uh
0: that's something we shouldn't do. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's
0: when <funny>. I uh. <laughs> Also, scapegoat and writing um, on the wall, those are two like of those like catchphrases that's made it to pop culture zeitgeist that I love, just to point out. That actually came from the Bible, guys. Um, <laughs> that's right. yeah. on so the wall, right? yeah. where or how can we see or how can viewing the gospel through the eyes of victims kind of change our understanding of it? Um, looking at it from the perspective of the scapegoat, how does that change the story of the gospel?
1: Right. So one, what we talked about in the beginning here is that salvation is not this sort of individualistic thing. Like I got to I got to get myself to heaven. Um, and so that's why Jesus died. Right. It gives you a, a bigger perspective on what's happening in the world um, that no, Jesus didn't just come here to um, die and save you you know, from your individual sins. There's like a societal thing going on here. Right. There are uh, we as humans um, tend to oppress Marginalize and hurt the people, um, who are powerless. And, um, the gospel is that those powerless people are the center of the kingdom, right? All of the teachings of Jesus we see in the sermon on the mountain, um, and in, in Luke and other places saying that there's an upside down kingdom. And so when we focus on the scapegoats or the victims in the story, then it makes that, um, nature, that upside down nature of the kingdom, um, become more clear, Right. And then we can say, oh, wait, it's not just it's not just oh uh, liberals are you know, talking about marginalized people or whatever. No, Jesus talked about marginalized people. Um, and yeah. he wanted to he wanted to not just um, change their position, but change the whole society so that it's the meek and the humble, um, the poor. Those are the people who inherit the kingdom, you know, not the rich, the powerful, the religious. So when we look at it through the eyes of scapegoats, then we can kind of see. Um what the gospel writers were trying to communicate in their in their context, right? We tend not to look yeah. at it that way, but gospel the gospel writers were Christians, early Christians who they themselves were scapegoats, right in society. yeah, and then they're telling the story of a scapegoat and then the main characters of the Gospels are scapegoats. So it really helps to look at it through that perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um so much there. that's <laughs> so good. I um, it's very telling how many times pastors read, for God so loved the world, he's in his only begotten son, so that all may be saved, and then go on a personal savior rant on how he died for you. And I was like, that's not what that verse says, actually.
3: No, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So we talked about what people were used as scapegoats back then, mm-hmm. but what groups in our own culture today would you say serve as scapegoats?
1: Yeah, so... um I divide my book up into three different sections. And the first section is um, women as scapegoats. So because of the structures of our societies, um, women tend to um, have to carry the burden of a lot of things. They become um, sexual scapegoats, right? Um, If someone is... um, accused of rape, they say, well, what was the woman wearing? You know, like put the blame on the woman. Um, but they're also social um, and economic scapegoats. Like w- women have the heavy burden of um, the greed in our society. Because when you think about single single mothers, like how much they suffer because of the way that our um, society is structured. So women... Definitely, they are not just scapegoats in society; they're scapegoats in in the church as well. But the second section is um, about um, the poor and the infirmed, so people who are, um, if you want to talk about people with illness or or with disability, um, and then people who are mm-hmm. poor. The church throughout history has had a very um, um, strained relationship with those <laughs> two. People. They will yeah. tend to like want to help and do things, but then they also like will blame. Poor people for being poor, you know. They'll take people with disabilities or illnesses and say, um, "You're the way you are because you don't have enough faith." You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like we we have treated them um, poorly throughout history. Um, And then the the last section is um, outsiders as scapegoats. And so when I think about outsiders today, um, I would think about probably um, you know people who are um, immigrants. People, you know, who are refugees fleeing violence in their countries. And the way that we talk about in American society, we tend to blame them for, oh, they're taking our jobs. Oh, they're drug dealers or whatever. <laughs> um, but that, that yeah. there's really problems going on within our society. And we're putting those the blame on these outsiders, these people who are just trying to survive, right? So there's, I think, there are a lot of scapegoats today in our in our country, in our society, in in the church. Um, but mostly, they're the people whose voices don't get heard. They're the they're the mm-hmm. people that um are overlooked and that others don't don't stand up for them. You know.
0: Yeah, I um. I mentioned Democrats earlier cuz typically that's what you see in the church, right? Like a lot of people in the church blame the Democrats. But the same thing does happen from that other side, right? Like mm-hmm. Democrats also scapegoat Republicans for all the issues and that's yeah. why you, that's how you get polarization. is just both sides yeah. scapegoating the other side.
1: Right.
0: Um <laughs> you mentioned poor people. Um I should have explained this before I started laughing, but <laughs> it made me think of there's there's a scene in the show Glee. Uh-huh. and it, it's the one of the most satirical like stupidest moments where uh one of the coaches sue sylvester is on there and she makes the statement she's like you know how i want to solve ho- the issue of homelessness when i see homeless people i just yell at them and say why not try not being homeless or why not give not being homeless a chance that's how the yep. line goes and i'm like wow yep it's just so dumb that it is funny but that's that's literally what scapegoating is yeah yeah
1: yeah, exactly. Because like the problems are not usually with the people who are homeless. The problems are with the systems and it's sins of you know greed and the fact that we're not concerned about our neighbor and loving our neighbor. Right? It's our sins, but they pay the price for the sins. So
2: yeah, right. yeah. So you've been on plenty of other podcasts. Is there a question that rarely gets asked that you wish you were asked more often?
1: <laughs> I mean, I I wish um, I wish people would ask me more about my um my upbringing or my heritage as a Mexican as a Mexican- American <laughs> hmm. right. but so, I don't look Mexican especially right now because I have I've red <laughs> hair, my hair is dyed um but I grew up in um, a Mexican- American family and that's like very key to you know who I am as a person um so I don't actually get to talk about that much
2: <laughs> so uh, Reverend Dr Jennifer Bashaw, would you mind telling us how your Mexican- American heritage has influenced your life (laughs) today this is the
0: best (laughs) (laughs) cop-out
1: absolutely um so my family um the mexican side of my family so my my mom's side is not mexican it's my dad's side that's mexican um we're very community oriented communal oriented very collectivist right Mm -hmm. um and i think that helped me a lot growing up to to read the Bible and read the gospels um, and understand Jesus in a way that I think is closer to the original um, way that the gospel writers or the biblical writers intended it, you know? So I, it's, it's like that's push against the um, individualist society that we have in general in America. Like it was an alternative, you know, so we were really good at taking care of one another and, you know, just the idea of, um, what is good for the community is good for the the individual instead of the other way around. Right. So I think, um, that has helped me a lot in um, my chosen field in the the fact that I love reading the gospels and the fact that I'm a teacher, um, uh, in the fact that I'm writing about scapegoats because I, (laughs) the very first story in the book is, um, is about the shooting, um, at the Walmart, you know, at the border, and how many uh, Mexican Americans were killed in that? And the guy who did the shooting talked about, you know, we need to get rid of this invasion of of um, mm. of Hispanic people. And so, uh, yeah, it hits close to home. When I have I have people who I have people in my family who live all over Texas and on all border towns and everything. So, yeah, mm. um, my my Hispanic heritage is uh, important.
0: Right. Spoiling the book though, I've <laughs> I've been saving up for it and. Here we go.
2: Right. So, where can people go to see all of your books and everything that you do?
1: Hmm. So I'm not one of those people that has like my own website or anything like
2: that. It's so easy. Right. You can make your own. Oh,
1: I don't. But um, I bet you, if you put my full name in to um, into Google, Jennifer Garcia Bushaw, then um, lots of things will come up, like my books on Amazon, my books, you know, Fortress Press printed. Uh, published it so you can find it there and then you'll probably find other things that I've done um, like theology beer camp stuff maybe Bible for Normal People I do things for the Bible for Normal People um, from time to time I'm a nerd in residence if you know what that is <laughs> hmm. <laughs> the Bible for Normal People so yeah <laughs> so just look me up um, and, and find me that way maybe one day I'll have my own website but not yet.
0: <laughs> I do love the Bible for Normal People. Josh. Josh made our website I know you can do it I, I didn't even make this website. I literally like on Captivate, it has like where I can just hit a button and say, Do you want a free website? And I said, Yes. Wow. And that's, that's it. That's all that I sounds
1: did. was pretty easy. Maybe I should and, do that. And
0: it just like uploaded our own bio to the bottom, which is great because TJs is something like, I was born and I now live. <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> what it says. That's it. Yep. Actually-
1: <laughs> but I'm also on Facebook, Jennifer Garcia Bishaw, and on um, Instagram. Yeah, and I I don't do much on Twitter. I'm there, but I don't actually do much because people are mean on Twitter. Yeah.
0: Man. <laughs> so if you Google her full name, uh, first thing that comes up it has like her name, and you can hit overview or videos. Videos are like a couple podcasts. Like I see one with Trip here. Uh, then you got a uh, your Campbell thing, your your Twitter, and then third one is Amazon profile. Oh, so yeah, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. You can just Google her name.
1: It's pretty easy. There's not yeah. another Jennifer Garcia Bashaw out there, actually.
0: <laughs> That's cool. super convenient. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, uh, one thing that we like to ask every guest is, if you had to recommend one tangible action for our listeners to take to better maintain the the unity of the church, what practical action would you recommend for our listeners to to do that they can do right now?
1: Mm. So there are so many actions that I talk about in my book that people <laughs> in the church can do. So I think, first of all, read my book. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but yes. one of the things is to ask questions like um, in your church, ask the people, your pastors, right? What are we doing to make sure that um, the, the poor, the infirm, the women, the outsiders in our church are not being scapegoated? right like ask the questions because normally um people continue to be scapegoated because we don't bring up the issue we just let it go to so like literally go to your pastors and ask what are we doing to make sure that the people who are victimized in society are not being victimized here in our church
0: hmm. yeah. yeah man
2: yeah so what what would we see change in the world if everyone did that
1: well i think we would start looking a little bit more like the kingdom of god hmm. right um, we would we would have a little bit um, better idea of what equality is what loving your neighbor is um, so i think i think that's a huge change it's an important change
2: yeah sure all right wow that was good that's great before we wrap up uh we like to do our god moment segment not sure if you were familiar with the show and if you're listening this is the god moment segment we just talk about <laughs> what god's been up to with us for the past week whenever really there's no time limit It used to just be in the past week, but people are busy, you know. (laughs) Sometimes we do a lot of these episodes, but what God's been up with us recently? And I always make Joshua go first. It can be a blessing, it can be a challenge, it can be a moment of worship. But Josh, do you have a God moment for us?
0: Yeah, and uh, actually, I got I got a few that I'm going to consolidate into one big sombering, grieving challenge. Yeah, Um, over the weekend. I found out one of the the youth that I used to help youth minister uh passed away. Um and really tough. His his brother his brother was my age and he passed away a few years ago. So really hard on that family. Um the funeral actually tonight, so That's rough. And then today my company decided to do a big layoff. And one of my good friends got fired as well as one of my managers. So it's been a, been a hard day and, uh, you know, just learning to rely on God more and just challenge to find comfort and, um, peace, you know, did the other Josh get fired? No, no, the other Josh is fine. Yeah. There's two Joshes at my work, both born in the same state with the same birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: As long as they're okay. Yeah. But I'll go next. Uh, to give our esteemed guest and guest host as much time (laughs) as they need. Uh, But uh, my God moment for, you know, my God moment, I'm going to stop. I'm going to try really hard to stop putting time limits on these things. (laughs) But uh, things are getting a little hectic at work, but I've got a really strong community around me that is trying to help me get what I need to get done, done in spite of how rough it is. So Mm. I'm extremely grateful for that it's been such a blessing.
0: Yeah. I got to say an unfortunate amount of my t- prayer time these days. have been praying about your work situations.
2: Well, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. So I wish it would get better.
2: Me too. So David, do you have a God moment for us?
3: Uh, Man, I just have too many to count, man. It's just, <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, very
2: David answer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking like, uh, that's a very, I don't know what to say. Answer. Uh, <laughs> but in reality <laughs> in reality man the last uh uh the last like 6 months have been like a crazy god challenge and uh having left the church that I went to for the last decade and uh my wife and I trying to find somewhere to get plugged in that is not just going to accept us and our service but that is going to be healthy for us to be a part of you know, uh, a church mm-hmm. that prioritizes church health over church growth. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And uh, we're still looking, but we believe we've found somewhere that will, that will serve as a good home base mm-hmm. as we continue our search. And we've gotten pretty plugged in there. They Their pastor has recently asked me if I wanted to, uh, you know, just be there as like a consultant for some of the young people if they want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody or whatever uh which is it's nice i like it and so that's mm-hmm. been a god moment and then this morning i went and got a haircut and my barber was sharing some of the things that that god was doing in his life and so that was that was a god moment i got to hear somebody else's testimony about how mm-hmm. they're now getting to partially own the barbershop that they've been working in for the last few years so that's oh, really cool. awesome pretty sweet Praise
2: god jennifer do you have a god moment for us this
1: week yeah i think i just i had one today in class and i love when i have god moments that my students sort of facilitate to me you know god shows up in the things that they say so often um we're talking about um the false self and the true self. And we're kind of looking at um, how we've developed as, as people. And one of the students, we were talking through the whole time and one student raised his hand at the end and said, you know, I found that the more time I spend um, alone with God, the more I come to understand what is my false self and my true self. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, Man. like that yeah. just spoke <laughs> to me. And it was, you know, a student, it's not, he's, I'm the teacher here, but he's the one who um, was speaking truth into the moment
0: it was great
2: yeah
1: that's always great we
2: love to hear it so thank you so much for your time today dr brashaw thank you so much for listening we love you uh please consider sharing the episode with a friend or an enemy you can share with your cousin
0: yeah preferably cousins
2: cousins work Uh, We love our cousins Uh, david's
0: cousins
3: david's cousins (laughs) Uh, he's got my my 300 cousins
0: yeah
2: Uh, Make sure you get your ticket for our convention. Eric Nevins will be there, head of the Christian Podcasting Association. We're going to be giving out free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. We're going to have Q&A sessions with church leaders. Check out our Patreon. We have cool bonus segments on there like our pet peeves, which is a fun one. You should check it out. Yeah.
0: Also, while you're checking stuff out, if you want to hear TJ, myself, and occasionally David geek out about random things and look at the stuff that we're geeking out on from a Christian perspective go over to SystematicGeekology.org there's a host tab has both me and TJ's name on there doesn't have David's name yet but if you hit the guest tab you'll find the te- the episodes he's on as well so find them check them out it's fun
3: yeah we just recorded an awesome episode about what if we discovered alien life so check that out it's yeah I'm excited to edit awesome as the producer <laughs>
0: yeah. I always get to hear things first it's great Not before me. I'm there.
2: Uh, We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Come back next week. uh, We'll be speaking with Andrew Gillsmith, the author of Our Lady of the Artelex, a Catholic sci-fi novel. After that, we'll be back with another roundtable discussion, this time about the particularities and differences in one another. We need to learn to embrace in unity. You worded that really strangely, Josh. We will be interviewing (laughs) former career criminal minister and author Stephen Snook. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us.
0: Yeah. Uh, primarily because David's going to keep messaging him until he does. Yeah. I He's mean, I keep spamming.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm spamming their website where it says uh, request a speaking engagement. Uh, and as long as it's free to keep spamming it, I'm going to keep spamming it.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, I, it's uh, cool to not have something behind a paywall, but they really should like <laughs> it like
0: a yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and Francis, we know you listen, so just know that uh, the Dr. Reverend, the great Dr. Reverend, also wants you Don, so you might as well just might
1: as well just do it, man. Yeah, that would be
0: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast. And you'll get extra bonus episodes like this week's Whole Church News segment, where we go over news and events and prayer requests from around the world in the church today.